We get to have Wilf share with us this morning. Oh, I'm so excited, and he has props. <laughs> Thank you, Will, for sharing. Ooh, and a big Bible. Up for Gavin and Kim. They, they had the best attendance at chapel this whole semester. I think Gavin only missed one night because he was trick-or-treating and uh, using that for evangelism. So that's what it's all about, isn't it, Gavin? Kim, I think you, you made them all, right? Thank you for serving us and to all that were serving in chapels this semester. Uh, but today it's all about Jesus. And uh, we're celebrating Advent. It started yesterday, apparently in history, about 700 A.D. The church thought, why don't we start the Christian liturgical year with Advent? And we can do a countdown to the birth of Christ. So he gets like a month of people thinking about his coming And that's what Advenio means. How many of you think Advenio, Advent, is Hebrew? Can I see your hands? Hebrew. How many think it's Greek? Uh, You all know what it is, but you're you're afraid to raise it. It's Latin. Like, go figure. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church, they like to use Latin for their celebrations. But it's a reminder to us of uh, Christ's coming. And uh, how he surprised the world after hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish people waiting for the Messiah to come. He surprised everyone by coming like a baby. And it's another reminder to us to prepare for Christmas time. And not just for Christmas, but to prepare for his second coming. The Messiah will return to fix the problems that we had ca- have caused in this world, and he'll bring about an era of peace, and uh, he'll show us how he wanted us to lead the nations and uh, live our lives. And then thirdly, a reminder, we got to buy some presents. Sorry to say that, but uh, it's the tradition. And uh, some people base it on uh, God so loved the world, he gave his only son best gift you could ever give humanity. And so we we like to give gifts. Not only that, but the Magi brought some gifts, didn't they? Gold. I could use some gold this Christmas if I'm on your list. Uh, I'm running out of Frank incense. I could use a bit of that. And uh, myrrh. And so they brought gifts to the king, recognizing there's something special going on in his life. So if you count From the time of Christ's birth to now, people have been celebrating and maybe bringing gifts for 2,022 years. Can you imagine how many gifts he has? So I want us to keep in the back of our mind this morning as we think about Christmas. What does Jesus really want from us at this Christmas season? Let's think about that. And, um, And so... The Advent theme is prepare the, the way of the Lord. Usually we read about the prophets. Uh, we 
have a, a purple candle here, which symbolizes royalty. Let me just light her up. <laughs> and it symbolizes the light of the Messiah coming into a dark world. And uh, symbolizes that finally there's hope in this dark world as we follow Christ and um, keep burning uh, for the Lord. So this morning I I still want to stay in the Psalms. And uh, we're looking at two Psalms together. Psalms 1 and 2 really go together. They are an introduction to the Psalter. Psalm 1 begins with the, the phrase, blessed, and the last phrase of Psalm 2 ends with a blessing on those that would take refuge in the Lord. So for the Hebrew reader, these two Psalms really go hand in hand. The first Psalm is one that focuses on the foundational commitment of the reader, of a person, that that person should, uh, should be blessed because of their commitment to the Word of God and the discovery of what God wants for every human being. So it's an individual commitment. The second one sets the purpose, desire, and the role for the ministry of Christ by reaching out to all the nations of the world. So we start in an individual focus and we end in a global focus on what does God want for us. And so these two psalms really introduce many of the themes of Scripture. Uh, We talked about the laments, and there's really two kinds of laments. There's individual laments when we have personal problems. The other ones are community laments, when the whole community of Israel is suffering. And for other nations, when they are suffering. And so these two psalms go together, and together they are a gateway into the Psalter, and into the spiritual life of every human being. And so we start in Psalm 1 with a blessing. Do you want to be blessed this Christmas season? Then the psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the Torah, and who meditates on this Torah day and night. That's why I brought this Big, thick Bible. This is the one. Jesus didn't have a nice packaged Bible like this. It was scrolls. But uh, this is what he worked on. And so Jesus is born into a wonderful, hand-picked family. Uh, Mary and Joseph, very special people. And so God selected them as the vehicle to bring the Messiah into this world. And as a a good Jewish family, they focused their attention on the word of God that, that told families that when you sit down together, you teach your children. When you walk together, you teach your children the commands and the words of God. When you sit, walk, when you lay down at night, you teach Deuteronomy 6. And when you 
rise up, and when you enter and uh, leave your house, you teach your children the word of God. This is a, a really nice masusa. I borrowed it from Alf this morning. It uh, feels like it's silver. And, um, and so the Hebrews would put their scripture in here. They, they love Deuteronomy 6 because it's all about the word of God and teaching. And they would pin that to their, their door. And every time they would go in and out of the house, they would start memorizing scripture. And typically they would uh, kiss their finger and just touch that masusa as their love for God's world, word. And so Jesus was raised in a home like this where all of his uh, first, second, third, fourth, fifth years, his parents are investing the word of God into his life. And he asks questions and they give the answer from the word of God. Why do we do this? And they would explain. Why do we go to the festival? And they would explain. And uh, uh, my water just broke. only water. I was wondering what was leaking. I thought it might be me, but anyhow, let's get back to the delight. So up until the age of five, and then Jesus starts talking to his parents. Uh, the, the other boys are going to the synagogue. They're memorizing the word of God. At age five, that's when they would send them off to the synagogue. And there would, they would hear the reading of the Torah daily, over and over. And the Jewish boy would memorize all of the Torah. Up until the age of 10, they would have their test. And they would memorize that Pentateuch, that Torah, the first five books of Moses, most important books in the Hebrew Jew, Jewish religion. And so... Uh, they like this pomegranate. It's actually uh, something they would put on the priest's robes at the bottom, a pomegranate. And in the temple, uh, Solomon had pomegranates on some of the pillars in the temple. And the rabbis believe that in this pomegranate are how many seeds? I want you at Christmas time to go home, get one, and count the seeds, okay? They say there's 613. There's one for every commandment in the Torah. And a lot of rabbis believe every pomegranate in the world has 613 seeds. Uh, I don't know if it's true, but whatever. It's, uh, it's a symbol of uh, fertility and fruitfulness. From the pomegranate tree, it reminds them of the word of God. And so they would memorize these commandments, and that's what would happen with Jesus. And the reason we know this is because the, the scriptures give us a little glimmer into his life. When he's 12 years old, he is sitting in the temple with religious leaders who know the scriptures off by heart, and he is debating with them, and he's answering questions, and he's asking questions, and they are totally blown away with this little boy and his understanding of the scriptures. At age 12. And then his parents come after a few days. And they say, oh, what? where have you been? And, uh, you know, he's, he says, I, I needed to be in my father's house. And he's already understanding there's a calling on his life. There's, there's uh, something bigger in the world 
Then uh, he was told at home, and he's learning about his calling in his life. He's amazed. And, uh, and people recognize this, and the scriptures say, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. People loved him. Because as he read scripture, as he knew it, he was kind, he was friendly, he was a servant. He had the character of the, the most godly person you could ever meet in your life. And so he grew in favor with God and people. And it's because of his choice to reverence God, to honor his word, to honor his mother and father, and to remain at home serving the family until God told them to move on. So, so get this, as far as we know, he is at home working and looking after the family needs with, uh, with uh, his brothers. We don't know when Joseph died, but traditionally the, the Hebrew son would learn the business of the father, we believe, and it's mentioned in scripture, he was a carpenter. So he would have been there at home working, and at the same time as he's making things, he is memorizing God's word and reflecting on it and delighting himself in it and meditating on it. And, uh, and so 30 years of that. You know, sometimes we get so frenzied in our own lives. We're so anxious There's so many people that are not at summit right now because they believe there's so much work to do in the world. I need to get out there and save people. They don't know anything about the word of God. They just want to save people. And and fine, fair enough. But if the son of God had to memorize the scripture and study hard like you and me for 30 years before He decided to get out in ministry. Some of us need to just calm down and carry on, sweat it out, get that word into your head, into your heart. And when it's the right time, when God thinks you know enough, then he will commission you and send you out. Otherwise, we can cause so much much trouble and damage. So often we do damage control because people have said this or said that, and then it comes back to get us. The, the evidence that Jesus parked it in his head and in his heart is he takes this word blessed, and in the Old Testament there's two Hebrew words for blessed. There's barak and there's asherah. And in the Psalms uh, 1 and 2, it's asherah. And so in the, in the Sermon of the Mount, when Jesus is preaching on the Beatitudes, the blessings, the word makario, it translates the Hebrew ashray. And it's like he is saying, if you want to know someone who is blessed, you look at their lives and you see everything that God, God's doing in their lives and you say, ashray, that person is like Abraham. Moses, look how blessed they are. And so Jesus takes that word, and now in his teaching in the Gospels, he is so inspired by the Spirit of God and the understanding of the word that he starts giving the blessings, the poor in spirit, and those who mourn, and the meek, and 
he's talking about how we as individuals get right with God. And if we do those things, that is how our relationship is formed. And then he goes on to talk about the blessings of the, the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers. And even those who are persecuted because they live so righteously in the world, people hate that and they persecute them. And he says, these are the marks of the individual who is blessed by God. And then as we read the Gospels, we see that everything Jesus taught and preached, his whole worldview was shaped by the Old Testament scriptures. He read there about Adam and Eve and sin, and he knew the origins of sin. He knew the consequences of sin and the damage sin causes in this world of ours that is such a mess, full of murder and all of the things that the commandments tell us not to do. People are doing them. And so his worldview is shaped by that. And then he reads about the covenants God made with Abraham and Moses and the people of God and others. And as he's reading God's word, he is inspired by the worldview that is shaped in his heart. And there comes a time in his life when the Holy Spirit starts speaking to him, saying that is going to happen to you. Last week we looked at Psalm 22. There was a point in Jesus' life, he's reading that, and the Holy Spirit lets him know that is going to happen to you. He's reading Isaiah 53, and he starts understanding that is going to happen to me. And yet, he will go through with the call of God on his life. And we know this, because in Luke's Gospel, in the last chapter, after the resurrection... He's walking with a a couple of disciples for seven miles. And the whole time he is with them, Luke says, Jesus was speaking from the Torah, the law, and the prophets, and telling them everything it says about the Son of God, and everything that would happen in his life. And so Jesus had the word of God so ingrained in his heart and mind. And uh, I love that scripture in Psalm 19. The whole psalm is about the word of God and the, the, the great benefits of reading and knowing the word of God. And he comes to Psalm 119, 105, and it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So if you're wondering, what is God's will for my life? Just keep reading the word. He's going to disclose it. It's a light. It's a lamp to your path. As you're walking with the Lord, he will disclose it. Our second point this morning is that Jesus loved the path. And that's the path that God had for him. He knew there's only two ways. There's only two choices in life. You either choose your own selfish individual way and path in life. You crown yourself the king or the queen of your life and you do whatever you want. That's a majority of of people on planet earth. And then there's the other choice where you, through the, the knowledge of the word of God, you submit to God and you say, God, I'd like to follow your way. And so blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit 
in the seat of mockers. In Christ's life in the gospel, he comes to the place where he he is addressing this issue. There's people who say, there's many ways to God. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There are no other, no other ways. And uh, in Proverbs, we read, There is a way that seems right unto mankind, but the end thereof is ruin and perdition. And so the psalm talks about, about uh, God evaluating each life. And some people, it's like chaff. You know, when you throw it up and the wind blows it away, they can live 90 years on earth. And if they don't know God, their whole lives are like chaff, a waste of time. But the person that does not walk in counsel with the wicked or stand the way, that person is like a tree. And we'll get to that in our third point. But uh, just think about some of our, our friends when we were younger. Uh, I was uh, a good Christian boy till I was 13. And in our church, we had a catechism test. It was like a blend of uh, Lutheran, Pentecostal. And we, we studied doctrine in Sunday school. And then at 13, there was a test. And I did very well on it. Uh, but after that test, I had friends that uh, started planting ideas in my mind. Oh, church is so boring. They, they don't let you do this. They don't let you do that. You, so you start walking and you start thinking, yeah, it's true. What a, what a drag. Life is like that. And, uh, and so you start going to different places with them. And there comes a place in your, your life. I was 16 when uh, I had started thinking like that. And then I took a stand with the sinners. And it started with, hey, Wilf, you want to smoke some weed? No, I don't want to do that. Wilf, you don't know what you're missing. And uh, it's true. Once I try, man, this is, and you start walk, and after years, you're, you're losing your, your rational uh, abilities. You start destroying your life. And it just kept on going like that until finally I was sitting in the back row with Jim, and now I'm a mocker, and I'm a blasphemer, and I'm so hardened to the things of God that I'm laughing at my parents and what they do in church, and we cause so much trouble for our Christian fellowships at church in at, at Bethel Park. Uh, horrible things. But fortunately for me, when I was 21, I had ruined my life, and I had nowhere to go. God gave me a second chance, and I had a chance to go back to church and hear the word of God. And I came to that crossroads where I had to choose. Do I keep going, wrecking my life, or do I pick God? And I wept for two hours at the altar. When I got up... Everyone was gone. <laughs> just, just me and the, the janitor. And he says, uh, can I go home now? <clears throat> <clears throat> throat> 
You know, our generation, they have this uh, anthem from Bon Jovi. You know that one? It's my life. You know that one? It's now or never. He says, I ain't going to live forever. That's a lie, but it, it sounds good. Uh, I just want to live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway. And that's the, that's the anthem of our generation. It's their life. They're not going to live forever, so why don't we just do what we want and uh, destroy our lives? I like uh, what he says in the middle of that chorus. And uh, this is from Lori Van Cleek's generation, uh, where he quotes Frank Sinatra, whose anthem for that generation is, I did it my way. You know that song? What's that? (laughs) Well, it's our anthem. And... And so the, the psalmist is warning every young person not to go down that path, but to select the path that l- leads to everlasting life. And, uh, and so Jesus comes along and he picks good friends. It's not that he didn't hang out with sinners. We know he did. And uh, in the middle of that, but he never allowed them to influence him. He always influenced them. And then at some point he says to Matthew, come. And follow me. And Matthew has a chance in his life to turn around and go the, the way that God wanted him to go. And so um, there is a path. And uh, in our lives, we observe the, the next slide. We, we know that this influenced Jesus so much. That in his own life, in the Sermon on the Mount, everywhere he went, he is preaching this same truth. There's only two paths. There's the broad way that leads to perdition. It may look like a lot of fun. You can go to the movies, you can gamble, you can do all kinds, you can kill people, you can... All of that stuff. But the end thereof, you see that burning hell. And uh, he says, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So sad. Only a few. A minority. And so we need to get the word out there. We need to broadcast this truth so that people will find the way. Now, uh, really for many people in life, there there are two crossroads. Uh, for many people, they are Christians, they are serving God, they are doing phenomenal things. But for some people, there is another crossroad where God confronts them through the word and by his spirit. And he says, I want you to leave what you're doing and take this path of ministry. And that's what happened to Jesus when he was 30 years old. He's serving at home, and then there came the time when he says to his mother, Mom, it's time for me to get baptized. I'm going to leave my work as a carpenter, and I'm going to go down to the river, and I'm going to identify with the people of God. I'm going to be baptized. And after that, 
I'm not coming home. I'm on the road to preach the gospel, to select disciples, to train them because God has a bigger job for me to do. And this is really shaped when he is reading in Psalm 2 about God's calling on his life and the task that is before him to reach the nations. Yes, he was focused on Israel, the lost sheep of Israel, but by picking 12 disciples, he was filling them with the word and desire of God to glow globally into the world, to reach all nations. And so his whole ministry is focused on that. His carpentry days were over. And, and many of you have experienced that. Our faculty have experienced that. I look at where some of them were headed. We have some who were mechanics, some who were butchers. We have some who were bankers. One who wanted to be an astronaut could have went to Mars tonight on that capsule. We have quite a few female faculty who wanted to be Hallmark movie stars. <laughs> and uh, actually, did, did you see that uh, 10 days ago there was a Hallmark show on and it was filmed in Claiborne Village, in the candy store, and in the classroom. I had to suffer through that one, but um, it was wholesome. <clears throat> it was nice. There came a place when God said, forget the movies. I want you to teach, preach, counsel, sing. And at that point, we move on God's path. And uh, we get involved with what he wants. Now, in Psalm 2, there is a militaristic tone to the psalm. And it talks about God's wrath. And that's, a, that's an element in the scripture we should never forget. Uh, we look at so many nations of the world today that are so messed up. You look at Yemen, they say that 8 million people might die of starvation in the next year or two, and nobody cares. Nobody can do anything because of the war going on with Saudi and Yemen, and they've been fighting, and they don't care two hoots about the people dying. And we can talk about Syria and all of these nations of the world where this is going on. And we wonder, where is God in the middle of it all? Well, he's crying. He is lamenting. He is hoping that we will pray for the nations and get on that path to serving them. And there is coming that day when God in his wrath is going to judge all those nations and those people. In, in uh, Matthew 25, Jesus reiterates this so many times. And he says there, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. And clothing and all of that. That's our ministry. When we are on the path to serving with Christ and following his way and his global passion becomes our passion. And so his last words are go into all the, the world. Insert here Sab Sabrina's word from last Wednesday on mission and God's heart for the nations. 
and going to serve where we can. And so, friends, stay on the path. Although the world offers money and fun and lots of jobs, stay on the path. He will supply. We need to learn to love the path he has put us on. Our last point this morning is Jesus loved the tree. Uh, That is the reward. When we delight ourselves in God's word, then the scriptures say that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. So my grandson, Canaan, he likes to ask me, he says, what is that tree called? I have palm trees. I have all kinds of plants and trees. The only thing I don't have is a cannabis plant. But uh, I have lots of trees. And so Canaan says, uh, Opa, what is that tree called? Well, it's a money tree. So what does he ask me? Does it grow money? No, money doesn't grow on trees. Why is it called a money tree? Well, it's expensive. It it takes a long time to grow something like that. But the, the point is, the tree represents productivity and fruitfulness. Whatever they do prospers. How would you like to be a person like that? Um, I know there are a lot of prosperity preachers. I listened to one yesterday. And uh, I, I know it doesn't work that way. So I'm not a preacher like that. But there's this promise in God's word that if we delight ourselves in his word, if we stay on the path, then we will be like trees that are productive. And we will bear fruit in season. And so the scriptures from the beginning starts in a garden with trees. And Adam and Eve are working in there. He's a horticulturalist. He's cultivating. He's a zoologist. He's, and there's productivity in the garden. Last chapter of the Bible, we end up in a garden. And there's a tree of life there that it says that uh, there's 12 kinds of fruit on it. And it produces every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And so all of scripture is full of this symbolism of the productive garden and trees. And right in the middle of the Old Testament in our Bible, we have the Psalter, which talks about that tree, talks about the fruitfulness, and it talks about the... The, uh, the whole symbolism of, uh, of horticulture is there is some pruning, isn't there? There's cutting away of, in fact, I, I did a bit because some of the leaves are getting a little uh, dark. So I, I cut some of that off. There, there's some pruning, there's cutting, there's circumcising of the heart and uh, there are things. And uh, as we do that, as we attend to the garden, there is fruit. Now, you know Jesus in the Gospels, one day he's walking with the disciples and he's teaching them and and he's hungry. And there's a fig tree there. And he looks and there's no figs on that tree. So he curses the tree. I'd love to do that. I curse you. Doesn't work for me. But you know the symbolism. I, I need to wind this up. Uh, let me be fair. The symbolism. 
Israel was that tree. God planted her in the promised land. He watered that tree. He gave it everything that tree needed. But they didn't bear fruit. His heart was broken. And so Jesus is warning the disciples that in their ministry, they need to be fruitful, productive. And, uh, and uh, the paradox of the whole scripture is this. Jesus loved the tree, the symbolism of it. He worked with trees with his father, helped cut them, carry them. He made incredible furniture, I think, of that. And then the paradox is at the end of his life, they hammered him to a tree. And he gave up his life as a sacrifice for all of humanity. And through that action, he had the most productive thing that could have happened for humanity. In that, everyone who receives by faith is saved. And that is the message we have to offer to our world, the world that Jesus cares about. He is that son, Psalm 2, the one who is anointed, the the king who will return, the one that we need to preach. And so when we think about Christmas this, uh, this season, and we think, what does Jesus want from us? Really, he wants us simply to grab that sinner, maybe your brother, your friend, who's walking in that path, to perdition, and he wants us to bring them closer to him. He wants us to love them, to be kind, to serve them, to interject what we can to get them closer to God. He also wants us to confirm our path. Uh, Some of you are going to go home, your friends are going to say, what, you go to Bible school, are you crazy? Like, why are you wasting your time there? Why not get a real job? You need to confirm what Jesus told you in the privacy of your own heart and, and room, where he said, this is the path I want you to go, and you need to confirm that and stay on that path. And uh, thirdly, we need to continue what we're doing at Summit. I love this place because we are globally minded in almost everything we do. We have Omega Global going to four nations in May. Kirk right now is in Indonesia doing mission work. Riku is in Brussels. Uh, Next summer, we have faculty and staff and some of you going all over in different places of the world to serve and do things. That's what Jesus wants from us this Christmas. Um, So I love Advent. I also love exams. My favorite week is final exams because I don't have to write any. (laughs) But uh, sorry to even mention it, but I want to test some of my faculties. Like, I sometimes think I'm losing my faculties. Uh, I think I should test them to see if they were listening this morning. So I have a test for Dr. Coates. What happens when we love the Word of God, Dr. Coates? Dr. Lillian, what happens when we love the path that God calls us to? Oh, thanks, honey. I met her here. I took her all over the world. 
36 years of enrichment. <laughs> Dr. Andrew Evans, what happens when we love the productive tree? Alive will be equipped. Beautiful. <laughs> I love you, man. You know, our, our time's up. Uh, last year I had a student, and she heard me preach that in the gospel, Jesus says, if someone asks you for something, then you give it. And Leanna Banana, she asked if she could have this. Whoa! Well, this will be a chapel we'll never forget. I'll, I'll, I'll fix that for you, Leanna, but our time's up. You're hungry. I'm hungry. It's time to go. Let's just pause for prayer. Thank you, Lord. We thank you most of all, Jesus, for being faithful and learning the word, preaching the word, and then allowing us to be disciples with you. We pray that this season would be a, a wonderful one where we are filled with your word anew and afresh, where you confirm the path to us, you speak to us, and you help us to be productive, to reach out to the sinners and the mockers around us at Christmas time and just show the love of Christ. We pray that it'll be a wonderful season of blessing because of what you will do. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.